Welcome to the Advancing Dentistry Podcast. Join us for in-depth discussions from industry-leading dental experts speaking on hot topics in their specialties. Thank you for listening to our BioLase Advancing Dentistry Podcast. This is Dr. Stephen John, your host for this presentation. Dentistry and medicine are continually advancing with better materials, technology, equipment, and superior techniques. The CBCT scan has opened a huge door for better diagnosing and treatment planning. Dental implants are now being placed with more accuracy. Invisalign has taken us from the traditional railroad track orthodontics to computer-generated controlled tooth movement with aligners that are barely visible. Impression taking with that goopy material is slowly going away with intraoral scanners. Dental treatment planning software with artificial intelligence technology is knocking at our door. Medicine has embraced laser therapy as part of their daily treatment. Patients have accepted the benefits of laser therapy, especially with the introduction of Lasex. So why has dentistry been so slow to accept this technology? Does laser therapy provide dentistry with a better treatment outcome than traditional dental treatments? To address these questions, we'll be doing a two-part podcast. The first podcast is to address laser therapy in general. The second podcast goes into more detail with different treatments that the laser is not only extremely effective at, but most likely superior to traditional dental techniques. We are very fortunate to have Dr. Howard Golan with us today to talk to us about laser therapy and dentistry. Dr. Golan completed his general dental training at the University of Michigan School of Dentistry. Afterwards, he did a general practice residence at North Shore University Hospital. He did two additional years in implant surgery and advanced prosthetic fellowship program at NSUH. Then, to top his yearning for education improvement, he is a graduate of the Concord Law School and is a member of the California Bar. The Golan family office is in Wilston. Is that how you pronounce it? Williston? Williston. Williston Park. Thank you. New York is a uh, technique advanced family uh, dental office dedicated to patient well-being. Their practice offers the latest in biomimetics, integration, and laser dentistry. Dr. Golan is an early adopter of laser therapy and has received his master's certificate in the prestigious World Clinical Laser Institute. He's extremely knowledgeable about all aspects of dentistry. I know that because actually when I was thinking about adding lasers into my practice, I took a, a couple of courses on becoming familiar with lasers in general. And Dr. Golan was one of the uh, people presenting. And of course, I was skeptical about watching, seeing what they had done. Of course, I had all the negative, prepared to come in with all my uh, negative comments and addressing everything on the negative side. And I got to tell you, seeing some of these post-op results, these outcomes that Dr. Golan presented, was pretty amazing. At that point in time, I pretty much knew I need to look more into this, this laser therapy and uh, add it to my practice. So welcome, Dr. Golan. Thank you for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here and to do this because uh, podcasts are cool. So I'm very excited. Excellent. Like I said, the fun thing, funnest thing about, uh, about when I first met you is all your knowledge and information, your excitement about laser, laser therapy. I mean, I gotta tell you, I, that is what got me started into all this and what I learned about it. But just the, the clinical outcomes that you show were just purely amazing. So, so again, I'm glad that I was able to, to meet you early in uh, my adoption of uh, laser therapy. And you're the one that got me started on this. Well, again, thank, thanks for the introduction. It's really been an amazing run since I started this so many years ago. And, and 
one of the best parts of being part of the laser community is meeting people like you and all over the world and, and the United States and laser dentists everywhere. It, we, all, we learn from each other. It's really been an amazing thing. I can't believe it's been so long. It's like 17 years now since I started with all this. So it's kind of crazy. Wow, that is, that is pretty amazing. And it's true. It's, it really is like a family. It's kind of cool. And Matt, as a matter of fact, actually, you speak to people who have no, not necessarily utilizing, uh, you know, the water laser, laser, but other lasers. And it's a great group of people to talk to and communicate with. So with that in mind, I think that our listeners would like to know more about lasers and dentistry. We have kind of a, a group of uh, potential listeners. We have the average person um, out there, the potential patients. We also have our dental professionals who are going to be listening. Some of our dental professionals are maybe thinking about the idea of adding laser therapy to the practices and we'll like to get some more information. So with that in mind, I'm going to be bombarding you with a ton of questions so that hopefully we could get some more information, not only for the, uh, for the patients to find out if they want to seek out patients or seek out doctors, who utilize laser therapy, but for professionals who honestly are actually thinking about adding it to their practices. So with that in mind, here we go. Let me hit you with the first question, which is a very broad question. What are the uh, laser options out there and how are they different? So like with anything, you have choices and and that's a good thing. There are definitely different lasers. I think the easiest way to look at it is there are lasers that are soft tissue only. And there are lasers that are all tissue lasers, right? Tissue lasers that cut enamel and dentin and tooth structure and bone and, and restorative materials and things like that. And like I said, then there are the soft tissue laser only. And that's really the major, the major difference between them. And so when you're talking about soft tissue laser only, typically they are heat lasers. They're used, they, they use the water and the pigment within the tissue to create heat. That heat is what cuts and they're very effective. And they're, they're, they take the cautery, the, the electrosurgical instrument, the cautery to a, to a, a higher level. And then you have the lasers that are all tissue lasers, which typically are considered erbium lasers. There's also CO2 that do it, carbon dioxide. And these lasers cut a lot of different things and they use, utilize water in their cutting mechanism, which allows it to be cooler and less invasive and less heat generated to tissue because one of the overriding factors in my decision-making and what I do with patients is, is am I going to heat up the tissue, right? Like if we talk about implants, you know that implants create, once you hit a critical temperature of the bone, that bone's going to die and that implant's not going to be successful. So it's the same thing with teeth. If you, if you overdo the critical temperature of the tooth, that nerve's going to die. We don't want that. If you're going to do that with bone, if you're going to do that with, with, teeth, it's not a good thing. So I'm not a big heat fan. I don't like to do procedures that are going to raise the heat level of the tissue. And so, you know, not all lasers are the same and, and, a, and a practitioner really has to decide what they want to do and how they want to do it. But of course, the, the counterpart of that is the cost and that all tissue lasers are much more expensive than soft tissue lasers. And so you have to kind of decide what works for you and, and what works for your practice. And as a, as a patient, if patients are listening, you need to know that. You need to know, oh, if a doctor's going to put a laser on you, is this a heat laser or is this a water laser? And, and that's very different animals in, in terms of what, what we do every day. So it's funny when you mentioned about the idea of the patients kind of, you know, hopefully we could provide them with more information. You know, in theory is I could have a pen light 
and shine it on the wall and say, I'm a laser dentist. So, you know, there is actually some photobiomodulation capabilities of a pen light. So the, the bottom line is, is that there are different types of laser out there that have their benefits and also their limitations also. You know, I think that your point being especially with the fact of the, the diodes. Now, with the diodes in general, and I know that one of the things I really want to emphasize in today's discussion is the use of the all-tissue water-seeking laser and not go a lot into diodes, primarily because of the fact that the diodes happen to have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of podcasts and things of that sort. But it seems to me that in my practice that I have, I see more and more referring doctors who have diode lasers who have said, okay, I want to have laser or I want to get into it. And like you said, because the expensive, I basically adopted the Dow laser. And with that in mind is that they, I've had a few of them that say, oh, I don't like lasers as much. They get frustrated with the diodes. So can you briefly describe maybe the difference of a cutting of a dial laser versus all tissue laser? And maybe why somebody who is frustrated with the dial laser may want to advance to an all tissue laser. Right. So over the last 16 years of me introducing lasers to dentists all over the world, a lot of the processes of dentists when they get into this are the same. And for reasonable reasons, cost is a major factor. It is very easy to get into a diode laser. And so if somebody wants to do laser dentistry, they can get a diode for a couple of thousand dollars and and they can start cutting. Uh, What people don't understand is that there's technique involved and you don't just step on the pedal and go. And what we find is that diode lasers, you have to touch the tissue in order for it to work. And when something's in contact like that, it's very easy to be inefficient. And so what people don't realize is that it's kind of slow. And then if you don't move your hand really, really slowly, if you don't, if you're not efficient in your movements, the diode laser is actually very slow. And so what happens is, and you get blackening and you get charring of the tissue, which can obscure your view. So you have to stop and wash it off and, and get all that coagulum off the, t- off the, the burn pieces off of the tissue. So when somebody switches to a all tissue laser that cuts with water and that water spray is constantly washing things away and you're not contacting it, you actually become more efficient and it's a much faster cut. And uh, I believe that the all tissue lasers are the best soft tissue lasers on the market. I believe that we can sculpt things and make dentistry into more art and more sculpting of the tissue as opposed to cutting it. So I'm not surprised. The other thing with diodes is that it only does soft tissue. So, and you as a periodontist know that when you're doing crown lengthening and you're doing aesthetic alterations of the tissue, if you get too close to bone, you need to, to reflect that bone. You need to, to, to cut that as well. And if you have a diode laser and you cut it back and you don't, and you, you invade biologic width, well, now what? Well, as, as a water laser or all tissue laser owner, I can fix both at the same time. And, and so in most cases, not all, and that's, that's important as well, but in a lot of cases, I can do both. And, and I can make sure that my biological width is intact. Whereas that, you know, that tissue may not look good if you invade biologic width. And we, you know, if the, if the CEJ is not where you think it is and you put that tissue in the wrong position, it's not going to look good. And so you're going to get frustrated from that when really that's not about the laser, that's about the technique. So there's a, a lot of factors that go into it. And so while something is cheaper and something is, is less money, it doesn't always mean it's the best. And so you're, you're, you're not alone. I see that all the time. And then there are some doctors that buy diodes and they're fine with it and that's enough for them. And that's okay, you know, but you're missing so much more that we can do that hopefully we'll, we'll touch on as much as we can in, in this podcast series. 
Sounds great. Hey, thank you so much for the clarity on that. I think that a lot of the, the, the dentists out there have a little bit better of an understanding. And like you said, is that, hey, it's a great introduction into laser dentistry, but ultimately, you know, if you want to do the best, you got to own the best. So with that in mind, a few questions, more questions for you. Why would we want to utilize an all tissue water seeking laser over a traditional handpiece for restorative dentistry? Great question. First, let me, let me be very clear, and I've been very clear on this for 16 years. The handpiece isn't going away. The handpiece, the drill is, a, is an integral part of what I do. There are things that the handpiece does that I can't do with a laser, unfortunately. I can't cut metal. Really, you know, when I, when I prepare teeth for crowns and veneers and stuff, the, the drill is really going to be part of it. But what people don't get and what a lot of restorative dentists don't understand is that there is a biological value to prepping a tooth with a laser. The laser does wonderful things for the teeth. Number one is it doesn't heat up the nerve, right? So we all are part of cutting teeth and raising pulpal temperature. And then the patient comes back sensitive a week later or a day later or two days later. And even if it may be transient pulpitis, it's still an inflamed pulp due to temperature. And so the water laser we know is not going to increase pulpal temperature. And that's really important. That's important for patient comfort. It's important for nerve health moving forward. So that critical temperature is never going to get reached. Number two is it disinfects, right? It's the only thing that actually kills bacteria as you use it. A drill doesn't do that. A drill removes disease tooth structure, but it doesn't disinfect as we work. And so we know that the laser is going to subsurface disinfect. So there are many products like Gluma and chlorhexidine that we put on tooth surfaces to disinfect them. The laser does that for us. Okay. So it, it, on top of that, it's going to help desensitize the teeth, right? It's not going to raise pulpal temperature. It's not going to change fluid movement within the tubules. And so we're going to get a desensitization procedure as well. And, you know, every dentist that I have trained over the years have always come back to me, a lot of them, and have said, Hey, my sensitivity postoperatively has gone down the more I use a laser on teeth. And then the other thing, and another big one is, as you know, is, is cracks in dentin and the microfractures that occur. When you put a drill on tooth, it cracks dentin. We see, we have SCMs and, and videos to see that. So the laser doesn't crack teeth. And that's really important. As you get deeper in dentin, you need to keep these, these teeth intact because cracks are one of those reasons why endodontics occurs. And sometimes endodontics fail is because of cracks in teeth. So if you look at all those things, the biological value of putting a laser on teeth, whether we prep it or not, is massive. And it's really been an important part of my restorative protocol for years, whether I use the laser or not. So what I tell my, my dentist that I work with is, okay, we're going to use a laser on 100% of a, of a tooth restorative work. From the smallest of, of restorations to the largest of crowns, we're always going to use a laser, but we're always going to use the drill as well. And the percentage of which is going to change based on what procedure I'm doing. So we're using both. And even in my laser cavity preparations, we're always using the, late, the drill as well to help us in the things that the drill does well. Thank you very much for saying that because I got to tell you, that's one of the, I think, misconceptions that most people have is once you buy a laser, that's all that you do. We got to keep in mind the fact that laser is a tool. It's only a tool. It's not really meant to, to, to replace our handpiece, our scalpel, our curettes. A lot of times when people go ahead and they say, oh, lasers don't work, they have this idea and conception that it is going to go ahead and replace it. I still pick up a scalpel. I still pick up instruments 
that I won't necessarily, I'll pick up a drill to even do crown lengthening if I need to. So the laser just, is just a tool. So thank you for clarifying that. That's really important. You know, on the hard tissue, what you're talking about is a lot of times, I mean, granted, I don't get into cavity preparations, but when I get involved with, I like, say, external resorption cases, one of the other nice things about that is I'm subgingival. I don't want to take some acid edge to the surface and I can go ahead and edge that dent and get a nice, a nice, you know, rough surface to get a good bonding of the, of the composite. So again, there's lots of different types of applications that we do. With that is we know we've talked a little bit about the idea of being very general at seeing the all tissue water seeking lasers. I know that you happen to be a huge fan of the Urban Chromium YSGG or BioLase water lace laser. May I ask why you chose that one over the, your, the other options in the industry? Yeah, there were really only two options back then, you know, when I, when I really, and my biggest concern was because it was an expensive product, you know, what's going to give me, what company's going to be around 10 years from now, 15 years from now, right? What, what company is going to give me the best R and D? What, what company is going to give me the best options for the future? What's going to give me the, the most procedures? Cause I think that's the other thing is, is we buy, Dentists tend to buy unitaskers. They tend to buy things that only do one thing. You know, a lot of endodontists I see buy these big machines like that only do one thing. And it's, you know, when you buy a, an all tissue laser, you want a lot and you want to do a lot well. You don't want to just do one thing. And, and that's the BioLase pro- series of products, the WaterLase, the YSGG really was the most ubiquitous in terms of what I can do every day. And I didn't even realize half the things that I ended up doing with it when I, when I started this process. So I decided on what wavelength is going to be the best for me and what company is going to give me the best education and the best options moving forward. And that's why I chose what I did. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to use the example of the uh, cell phone. So we have these smartphones that have all these apps on it. All I wanted to use is maybe texting and to go ahead and use the phone, but it had all these apps on it. Now I utilize the majority of them. Same thing. When you have the technology available for you, you know, you start to say, well, maybe I'll get this to try and go, oh my gosh, how could I ever live without this? So here. And, and there's a, there's a cool factor. Oh, if yeah. you look at, if you look at the, the, the lasers that are out there, it's, it's not, I mean, it's a sexier laser. It looks better. It's cooler. Patients like it better. You don't see these massive robotic arms and, and these, these products that are, are work. But they're kind of clunky and they're kind of not, they're not pretty. They're not, they're, they're kind of scary looking. You know, they looks like they should be in an operating room and not in a dental practice. So the fact that I can get them in different colors and, and it's, it's got a cool screen and it's, it's, you know, that's part of it. It's all part of the game. And, you know, dentistry is a business and we need to make our patients feel comfortable. So that was the other part. It was cool looking. I think you know? that the whole idea of the fiber optics, optics, you know, that the, um, the trunk fiber. Yeah. Versus articulating arm is so much easier to uh, oh, yeah. put the handpiece around. It's much lighter. No, oh, I, I did. A, I did a seven-year-old today. We did a cavity prep on him, and and it just came to me. And I'd never done it before, but the kid was a very smart kid. He's a little bit on the spectrum, and we we started talking Star Wars, and we started talking lightsabers. And I said, "This is my lightsaber, and I'm going to fix your tooth through my lightsaber." The kid loved it, and when, <laughs> I never used that before. Like I, I know there was a pediatric dentist, you know, rest in peace, Dr. Fred Margolis, who did that who talked about Star Wars and stuff. And I never used it because I thought it was cheesy, but today it worked really well. So, <laughs> you know, it's it, there's a cool factor to it. There really is. There really, really, really is. So for our public out there, I have a couple of quick questions and maybe they're thinking about. 
Number one is in general, when you introduce lasers in your practice, what is the general perception that your patients have of lasers? And also, what is the acceptability of not only the lasers in general, but of treatment? Wow, that's a really loaded question. It's very different now than it was 15 years ago. The internet and what's out there now, my practice has really morphed and changed. We cater to a lot of natural and holistic patients who seek this out, who ask for lasers because they know the, the value of the antimicrobial, the, the antiviral, the anti-everything that it kills things and, and helps disinfect at a high level. So there's that chunk of my patient base that, that seek it out. Most patients, believe it or not, do not know anything about it. Most of them come in and I say, oh, we're going to use only the, what's a laser? What does it do? I talk to my friends. Most of them, you know, I'm traveling all over the country, you know, teaching about this stuff. And they're like, what the heck does a laser in dentistry do? So I do a lot of educating. I teach people a lot about what it is because most people don't know what it can do. And they're shocked. You know, it is amazing to me how the public has for years, you know, accepted regular dentistry is just sort of the norm. And, and it really hasn't driven, you know, because people don't know what they don't know. And they're not, if they're not exposed to it, if their dentist doesn't have one, if they're not pushing it, I met, a, I had a pediatric dentist come in today who was a patient who acted as, you know, who was, came in as a patient and she doesn't use lasers in her practice. I said, you gotta, we gotta talk about this. I mean, all pediatric dentists, I think should have it. I mean, treating a child with a laser is wonderful. And they, most of them don't know about it or most of them kind of heard about it, but just kind of like whatever, they don't really think it's for them. And most of the public don't, you know, when I do it, they're like, oh my God, that's pretty cool. And then in terms of patient treatment acceptance, you know, I I think you got to create trust. You got to explain what lasers do and and what we could do for them, especially in periodontics, as you know, you know, being able to do some periodontics, not all, but doing periodontics without surgical intervention and do it more non-surgically is, is an amazing thing. And, and when I have to do it surgically, I don't. I send it out to my, my specialist, but when, when I could do it non-surgically, I mean, patients are thrilled to not have to, you know, get their gums cut open. I mean, it's, it's really an amazing thing. And, and I think that the laser community as a whole, we got to do a better job. And hopefully this is one on the road to doing that is getting the public to understand the value of it. That it's really amazing. Which is great. Cause like you said, we have our patients in the, uh, the chair is all about education. I mean, I think that Number one, I think the perception of the laser for some of patients is, oh, good. It's a, uh, you know, it's not going to cut anything. Well, it does. And we have to kind of explain the fact that it does. And it is kind of a replacement for a scalpel, but there's faster healing. There's less pain. There's less inflammation afterwards. So it has its huge advantages. But yeah, I know I, I found it. It's funny. It's like I talk about surgery and immediately the patients are turned off. I talk about lasers. Now they're interested. So. Thank you. Thank you for the advanced technology. And that's um, why you're seeing that's why you're seeing more and more of your colleagues in the periodontal community get involved in it because they realize that patients don't want to get their gums cut open and right. that this does work and it doesn't take the place of 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 periodontal values and periodontal tenements and 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 the the building blocks of what you've learned. It's just another way of doing it. Right. So so real quick so I have to say, unfortunately, I think that with kind of leading into this, lasers oftentimes are kind of viewed as being, I call it the magic wand. Like, oh, I'm going to take the laser and zap it. It's like, like the Star Wars sort of idea. So it's viewed as being the magic wand. But unfortunately, we know that even the uh, the worst dentist cannot be made into a superstar 
if they already don't know their, their basic skills. So I guess my question is, is that we know the laser is not going to make a bad dentist any better, but do you feel the laser has the capability to kind of improve dental outcomes for a, a dentist is already doing pretty decent work. What would be some of the advantages clinically that, that would help them along in their therapies? Wow, these are good questions. So, you know, I mean, and I have my own opinions, obviously, but yeah, I mean, listen, our job as dentists is do the best we can for our patients. We're human, we make mistakes. Outcomes don't always work out, especially when you're dealing with the human body. We can do anything we want on patients and, and it may not work out. I mean, the, you, we all have cases where we think this is a, a no-brainer, it's going to work, We do, and it just doesn't work. The goal is with lasers, especially for me, you know, on my worst day, what's going to get me through my worst day? You know, on my best day, I typically wouldn't need, I mean, and then that's the challenge for me is that you don't need a laser to practice dentistry, right? I mean, we, there are, there are thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of dentists in this world that practice dentistry without a laser. The question is, can we do it better than what we're doing now? Can we make those patient outcomes better? You know, I go back to the McGuire study that was done a couple of years ago and, and, you know, people dismissed it so quickly because it didn't really show any difference in efficacy, right? Between a flapped gum procedure and a laser gum procedure, but it was a massive difference in patient outcomes, right? And, and so if it, if it proves that it's just as good, but then the patients do better afterwards, why wouldn't you do that? Because we as dentists sometimes forget about the aftercare and what patients do afterwards, right? So yes, maybe maybe it doesn't cut as fast as a drill. You know, maybe it's not going to make that crown any seat any better or whatever. But if the patient feels better afterwards, if they want to do more dentistry and get more of their teeth done because they're more comfortable, isn't that worth it? You know? So I think I think patient outcomes is is an amazing part of it. And and yes, even, you know, in every level of dentist is going to benefit from a laser, right? you know, just managing tissue around teeth and implants, okay, is is a massive change that you can't do conventionally as well. You just can't. You know, you're not going to shove cord around an implant. You know, you're not going to, you know, you don't want to burn the implant surface, right, or or scratch it. So, yes, there there are tons of things that the laser will do that will help us and and increase the, the raise the probability of success. How about that? Right. Let's raise the probability of success. Let's uh, we're not going to guarantee anything, but we're going to try to raise the probability of success. Right. I think the whole idea of the patient related outcomes is huge because, I mean, obviously that our patient's perception of the of how things went is important because that's really what generates less fear of the patients of coming into practice. And that generates more comfort levels, too. I know for me in surgery, though, I think one of the biggest, biggest influences is that when I utilize the laser for doing surgery, I have far less bleeding, which means that I have better visualization of the area. I think right. I do far better surgeries, root preparation, bone graft, and things right. like that, because I'm not spending the time trying to get the blood, the blood suction up. Matter of fact, my system doesn't hear suction, suction, suction for, for right. so much bleeding. I have better visualization. So I think that it- And, the, and, and most of the time, you know, and listen, you practiced periodontics without a laser for years, right? Right. And you got good results. Right. So, so the question is, are you getting better results? Well, maybe, 
I think I'm getting more predictable results. I think that my outcomes are more. But I guarantee you, your patient outcomes are better. That's true. In terms of their, in terms of their outlook, right? In terms of, in terms of their experience, right? That if they need that other quadrant done, they're not going to take six months between them because they don't want to go through it again, right? And they get that other, they may get that other quadrant done faster. Yeah, and that's a value to everybody. Yeah, my dad, uh, who was a periodontist, practiced traditional periodontal therapy, and nobody wanted to have a second surgery. When I brought laser therapy in, they all said, oh my gosh, this is so much better. So right. no, I, I definitely I definitely ended up getting that. So regarding the idea of training, like for instance, when you bought your laser, did you just jump right in, do everything? You know, you go, hey, I got the laser, I'm gonna start doing everything. Or did you pretty much start slowly? Did you kind of add courses? Did you add, Did you take training? What was your training like with your laser in general? And what is the laser uh, training like nowadays? So when I got it back in my first laser in 2004, go, wow, I can't believe it's that long already. <laughs> I think that that was still the bleeding edge of laser dentistry. I think we were just at that point where enough penetration of the, of the all tissue lasers that we started to, to change the education system. When I was there, the training was not very good. There wasn't enough knowledge of the things that we, there, there wasn't enough. It was all about the show and not about the science and the biology and why we're doing what we're doing. It was sort of like step on the pedal and go. And if it doesn't work well, you bought it and we're moving on. And it's really changed. The stuff that I teach it when I train dentists now, I would say 60% of it, I kind of figured out on my own. And, and so now dentists 15, 17, 18 years later, they get the benefit of all of us before us that that went through it and and see the the problems and the difficulties and I, I think the training is much better. I think the biggest the biggest challenge that I have is getting patients to cr- uh, getting doctors to crawl before they walk before they run, and they you know they buy this piece of equipment they're they're worried about the return on investment they're worried about getting their money's worth and they want to learn too many things too quickly. And that's the challenge is kind of holding them back and saying, okay, let's teach you how to use this first. Let's teach you the value of it. And then we could slowly build. So that, that's an internal thing that, that you know, that, that as, as educators and at, at especially, you know, when, when working with BioLays, we're always folk, we're always fighting that, you know, that thing is how do we get more penetration of the laser? But how do we teach people to do it in the proper sequence? And some learn faster than others and other people pick, take to it. I mean, I have a, pay, a, a doctor that I trained 15 years ago and still has not done a crowd lengthening with it mm-hmm. 15 years later. That's okay. Like, you know, it's a wonderful procedure to do, but they have no desire. And I'm like, okay, you know, you don't want to use it. You, you know, you do what you want to do. So, but the training is, is we try to really focus on why we're doing what we're doing. What's the physics and the biology behind it? How that physics and biology then carries over to your clinical. And I really try to get doctors to understand that I'm not trying to have you abandon what you already know. You're all dentists. We're all, we've all been trained how to do this. You all know how to cut a crown. You all know how to cut a cavity prep. I'm just having you in, involve the laser in your armamentarium to kind of help you with situations that, that may, you may be frustrated with now. So we, we try to take a pretty, logical approach to our training. What's really nice is that, you know, you and I are both trainers for the doctors. And I know that BioLase has gotten more and more into a one-on-one type of training, even though we may go groups, we're still trying to go one-on-one. 
which is nice because the fact that, you know, I mean, sure you can relate. Sometimes we all have a, uh, a participant who maybe isn't doing as well in certain procedures in the lab. And we let them know, say, you know what? I think you need additional information, additional training, maybe go off and seek that. But also as trainers, you know, and bylays, one of the nice things, like you said, is that early adoption of bylays is you got training on your own. Well, nowadays, literally it's a family. So, so bylays is really pushing towards, towards having this continued education, continued types of information and sharing information too. So I think and I miss, I, I mean, I miss the classes, you know, I miss the, the pandemic really <laughs> threw a wrinkle into the chain there. Because there was really, there's really something to be said for being in a room with your colleagues and learning together and learning from each other. I mean, you know, when you go to a conference, you're always learning outside of the lectures. You're learning at the lunch. You're learning at breakfast. You're learning from others. And, and I, I was always a big fan of that group education. So I'm sort of trying to transition into this one-on-one, you know, stuff, but we're, we're, we'll figure it out. I'm looking forward to when we all could have those meetings again, because usually we have a big giant dinner and a valet's paid for, and that's when we got our tequila shots. <laughs> anyway. exactly. Exactly. So here, going into, we start off at the very beginning, and I kind of want to do kind of a, a little loop here. Part of that ends up being, as we, we at the very beginning, you talked about the expense. And so one of the things that I have noticed is that the doctors who are more encouraged about adopting this type of technology are the younger people. They want to go out, they want to be different, they want to be advanced, they want to kind of get out there and stuff like that. But unfortunately, for most of these doctors, they have, you know, they're buying a practice, they have their educational, you know, funds to go ahead and, and pay back. So they really can't afford to end up getting involved with laser therapy. Yet, the other doctors are the well-seasoned, the people like me, where I've been out for a long time and have generated a certain technique that has worked for me. And so my reluctancy about, for instance, the idea of jumping into laser therapy is why do I want to go ahead and go through a learning curve? Why do I want to go ahead and do something new or something different? What's going to happen if I don't like this? What is, what's going to happen if I, if I don't find that it's, it's beneficial for me? So I already know the answer on my end of this, but I guess my question to you is how would you address these concerns for the new therapist? How would you address these concerns for the seasoned doctors? And do you have a thought on how we can basically get more doctors involved with laser therapy? Wow. These are, these are really like, we could spend a whole podcast just on each one of these questions. Yes, we alone. could. Listen, there are, as, as I've been, like I said, I've, I have been in, introduced to thousands of dentists over the years. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a, a hot button that they're, they, everybody's got a reason for doing what they do. And all I can say is you got to get into laser dentistry for the right reasons. You got to decide what, what you want to do it for. And when you come to me and you say, okay, I want to do a laser, I want to get a laser for this. I want to get a laser to get me to make more money. Okay. Then well, I'll show you how to do that. Fine. I want to treat my patients better. Okay. I'll show you how to do that. I want to do one specific thing. I want to do it. great. And then hopefully when we do that, we'll kind of show you the other aspects of lasers that it's more than just the money and that indirectly you'll make more money just by doing better things for your patients or you just want to do this one procedure. But you know what? There are other things you can do with it that may make you happy. So the problem is it's such a strong product. It's a product that does thousands of things. I mean, every day I, I use it every day for, for something. 
at least once or twice a day, but usually five or six times. And, you know, everybody does their own thing differently. And, and so it's such a powerful instrument that in order for, you, you know, a dentist is, is a creature of habit and we, we get into a routine of what we want to do and to have this thing come in and disrupt that. So integration is really, a, it's a challenge and we just have to find a way to get you as the practitioner to integrate it the best way we can. And, and it's not simple, but once we figure it out and we learn more about you, we will be able to integrate this laser into your practice and figure out what's the best way to do it for you. And you're going to have to do the work. You know, the other thing is, and, and I tell dentists all the time, you got it's not just about stepping on the pedal. I can show you and spend two days in a training course, but this is a lifetime. This is a rest of your career of learning. We learn all the time. There's new things coming out all the time about what lasers can do. And, and what, what I'm doing now versus 15 years ago is, is completely crazy compared to what I did back then. So we just have to find what works for you. And you have to think about how that laser can impact your practice. Even if it's one thing, we'll get you to that, to that. And we'll get you into the, you know, it's like, we'll, we'll put you into the shallow end of the pool and we'll get you good. And then we'll, we'll slowly work you, work your way into the deep end. So I think like a lot of procedures I already do, I got it. I guess, here's my question for you. I found that the learning curve was actually pretty simple. In other words, that changing from a scalpel to the laser, while there's a little bit of learning curve, really wasn't that bad. I mean, if I already knew the technique on how to do something, there really wasn't a big giant learning curve. It's just more or less, how do you use laser? And that's very simple once you get the technique down. Do you feel the same way? I think that the learning curve is different for everybody. And I think that there are some people that just get it, that pick it up. Like for instance, the laser, as you know, it's a non-touch instrument. The all tissue laser, you don't touch. Even with gums, you don't touch. So you're, you're painting, you're, you're hovering like a hoverboard over the tissue and it magically goes away. So from a gum perspective, it's easy because it's soft. And, and, and the other thing is that you're used to an ultrasonic. You're used to that very light finger like touch. Like I always say hygienists would be amazing with a water lens because they understand how to grip this thing very lightly. Whereas us as restorative dentists, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're getting smoke coming out and we're trying to push on that drill. And it's, you know, I mean, you know, today I stopped the electric handpiece. Like that's hard to do. You know, that means I'm pushing really hard if I stop an electric handpiece with pretty much unlimited torque, you know? So it's a little bit harder for us to be able to do that. And I'm asking a dentist to, to cut a tooth without touching that tooth. It's like this, this complete, mind, you know, blown thing that's just hard sometimes. And some people get it and some people don't. The younger dentists get it quicker because they don't have the same habits that we are ingrained in. You know, somebody who's three or four years out, we can change them and mold them pretty quickly. You know, when you're, when you've got a 30 year practicing dentist doing the same thing over and over again to have, you know, so it's different, but there's a commitment to it. And if you commit to it, it's an amazing ride. And every dentist that I know that is committed to it wholeheartedly, they would never go back. Right. I, it's funny. I tend to find that the seasoned doctors who are more interested in it aren't necessarily interested for themselves, but are planning on bringing on an associate, a younger practitioner who they're right. going to go ahead and ultimately sell a practice to or some of that. And the younger practitioner is more open to it. So the seasoned doctor has the finances, has the money to go ahead and purchase it. But the bottom line is, is to go ahead and get the younger doctor 
to go ahead and end up utilizing. I think that getting that younger doctor, bringing new technology and things of that sort, honestly, the seasoned doctor is going to gain by that just because they're going to pick it up. They're going to use it. And they're going to say, holy cow, this actually does do what, what the... And that's a different story, right? That's, that's, that's not my story, but that's a different story. And if I have to choose your own adventure and, and, and pick <laughs> that story for you and that's what you want, then we'll figure that out. And if you want me to teach your younger dentist, you know, great. I mean, I've done that before. I right. think it's crazy. I think the older dentist should get involved in it, but if they choose not to, that's fine. Right. So one last subject before we kind of close out, I know that we're kind of coming towards the end of our, of our podcast, is we do have, have a number of specialists out there. And I know this is a conversation that we've had many, many times. Specialists out there whom, particularly periodontists, we're always concerned about, oh gosh, are the, are the general dentists going to start doing all the treatments that, that we do? And they, are they going to think they can do as good of a job and things of that sort? And I know you and I have had great discussions with this and we both think along the same lines of it. I would like to have your input to maybe address this in case there are any specialists out there that are, are concerned. The fact that we have a company that is educating both general dentists and specialists and techniques. Would you maybe be able to, to address that issue? Yeah, absolutely. I'm very, very passionate about this issue because I think it's important. There's a couple of aspects. First and foremost, I think one of the hardest things for young dentists and medium, you know, and older dentists alike is, you know, sometimes we need to know what we don't know and, and we need to acknowledge the fact that there are people that, that do it better and that's okay. And so when I'm teaching specialty procedures to general practitioners, what I say to them is I'm going to try to teach this to you as well or better than a specialist can do it. And if you can't do it as well or better, then you should send it out, okay? So that's the first thing. And so a, a, a thing like crown lengthening, there are, there are, and I tell my dentist this, there are crown lengthings that I do, and there are crown lengthings that I have no desire to do because I know that it's a headache for me because I don't do it as, as well. It's, and, and maybe I could do it as well, but uh, it doesn't interest me. So for instance, you know, if I'm doing like, cosmetic crown lengthening for eight veneers and I'm flapping this thing back and I'm doing massive, doesn't interest me. Just doesn't, right? I'll let my colleagues do that. Bone grafting, guided tissue regeneration. I could do it. I don't want to. I was trained to do it. I have no desire to do it. Zero. You know, and there are, there are general practitioners that do it. Phrenectomies. Do I do every phrenectomy that comes through the door? No. Ortho. Do I do every ortho case that comes through the door? No. There are things that you have to learn to recognize. So, you know, the fear of a specialist is if you are in your community and you are talking to your general practitioners, you should reach out to that general practitioner and say, hey, what are you doing? Are you doing some specialty procedures? Let me help you. And let me show you the ones that I think I should do. And here are the ones that I think you should do. And I think th that kind of interaction between the specialists, there's plenty of stuff for me to send out that I don't need for my specialist to worry about me not doing it. The other aspect of it that's important is the interaction. There are, there are things, especially periodontics, where I believe there are certain things that should be done in the general practitioner's office. What I say is treat general, refer specific. So my goal is when a patient comes in and we do a full mouth probing and we decide they need generalized periodontics, we're going to take them through the non-surgical phase in our practice. We're going to keep them here. We're going to get them hygiene. We're going to get them doing it. And then after that, that maintenance, you know, check or whatever, the areas that don't respond, 
that may need surgical intervention, we're going to send it to you. We're going to send it to the periodontist. Now, what does that do for me? Number one is it keeps everybody in the loop. Everybody's happy. Everybody's doing stuff. A, a, a periodontist only has to treat one or two sites as opposed to a full mouth, which they much like better anyway. The patients like it better. And everybody wins, you know, and, and the patients involved in the process. And it, it, it's really been a, a good, wonderful aspect. I think that if you just black and white it and say this, you do, and you, I don't think that's the way to do it. So if you're trained and you understand how to do it, and you can do it as well, then do it. But if you can't send it out and you should figure out a way with your specialist to make, to do what's reasonable to do in the general office and then refer out the stuff that, that should be done at the specialist office. Yeah, it all I comes that, down. I hope that makes sense. No, it totally does. I mean, honestly, it all comes down to its relationship with the specialist. You know, if you've got a good relationship with your uh, with your specialist, specialists have a good relationship and understanding with the restorative doctor. It just makes, and communication. Like how just, many times, I mean, in my career, how many times do I send a patient to a periodontist and then the patient goes every three months back to the periodontist. I never see them until there's a big cavity. And I'm like, well, what's going on? Right, right. How, so wh- why should, why can't I do two quadrant, two months, two perio maintenance a year and you do two perio maintenance a year? Right. Why can't we split it? Those things. And it's the same thing. So if I can treat a site or a specific area with a laser or a quadrant and I can get 90% of those pockets down to a three not bleeding and those one or two areas that may need surgical flapping or bone grafting, you go do it because I have no desire to do that. Sounds good to me. <laughs> um, anyway, so that per, those are perfect examples that, you know, again, the relationship and uh, your procedures to do, not to do. One time I had a, a referring doctor, or to me, a, a dentist in our area, didn't refer to me, bought a biolase. I knew that he, a water lays, knew that he did and reached out to me and says, could you help me? And, and rather than it could be competition, yeah, be more than happy to help you. So I helped him with his water lays, got him training, got him going, taught him a couple of uh, pyro procedures. He's one of my best referrals for soft tissue grafting. So ended right. up being a, a win-win. So, so there really is no competition. Dr. Golan, I would really like to thank you for being participating in this podcast. This has been great. It's been informative. It's been very, 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 very enjoyable. We are going to be doing it. We're done already? Really? I know. I know. I could go all night. I just so could I. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's too bad you're on the East Coast and I'm on the West. Otherwise, say, great. Let's go and have cocktails. (laughs) Exactly. Well, we'll get together someday. That sounds great to me. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. So again, thank you very much. We actually um, are going to be having a second podcast to kind of go over more or less procedures. Dr. Golan has volunteered to go ahead and participate in that one. I'm really looking forward to it to kind of get both a, uh, to go over a number of different types of procedures on a basically a, a, a restorative doctors, a specialist view, how to better treat our patients and things of that. So we'll be going to more and more specifics regarding treatments and therapies and stuff like that. So again, Dr. Golan, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great. Thank you. So I hope all of you will join us next time uh, when we go over uh, the, our next podcast regarding the dental procedures and dentistry and hopefully how the uh, laser will be the ideal tool for these types of therapies. I am positive it will be extremely informative. So again, thank you for joining us. And until then, cheers. Thanks for joining us for another Advancing Dentistry podcast. Opinions expressed are those of individual doctors and do not necessarily represent BioLace. Please refer to your individual state governing bodies for laws pertaining to laser usage.
To learn more about Waterlace All Tissue and Epic Diode Laser Technology, visit biolace.com forward slash podcast.